A few weeks ago, we started a new sermon series that we're calling Why Not You? And it's this idea of changing something that many of us have been doing. And one of the things that that we tend to do is we tend to talk ourselves out of the dreams and the desires and the calling that God has placed on our life. And so we're looking at a variety of things that Scripture shows us about the nature of God's calling, but also the nature of how He equips us to actually accomplish the calling that He's placed upon our lives. And some of the things that we'll be seeing, even as we work our way through this series, is the ways in which the Lord changes the desires of our hearts so that the, the desires of our hearts start to actually align with His desires. And today, specifically, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we're going, to, we're going to see a concept demonstrated here in the life of a very humble person who shows us that, we, that it's fine and good for us to begin dreaming about helping the people who will only listen to you. Because there are certain people in your day-to-day life who are only going to listen to you, and I believe that the Lord wants to speak through you to the people that He's placed in your life. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. Again, we're going to be looking at, we're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 30, and then we're going to spend some time highlighting several of the verses that we find in this portion of Scripture. But I want us to have a full picture of what was going on at the time. So John chapter 4, starting with verse 1, says this. And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it today. And Lord, we're mindful of the fact that as we look at this portion of Scripture, we're doing so on a weekend and and during a season when we celebrate Memorial Day and we recognize the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that, that many people serving in our armed forces have made on our behalf. And so, Lord, today we acknowledge that and we thank you for each life that was given so that we can enjoy the opportunity to gather together and to freely worship you and to study your word together and to fellowship as believers. We know that there are people that paid with their life so that we could enjoy this kind of liberty, this kind of freedom. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that as we know you and as we worship you and as we spend time in your presence, we're grateful for the fact that as we look at your word, we can be confident in you. And we know that you satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. And so, Lord, we see you doing that in the portion of Scripture that we just read together But Lord, we pray that today as we look at this, that we would take some lessons from this and that we would recognize that that there are certain people in our lives who will listen to us if we offer up a credible witness of you. And so Lord, we pray that we would trust that you might even speak through people like us to the people that you've placed in our lives. And we're grateful for the privilege, Lord, to be your ambassadors to those that you've given us the opportunity to fellowship with and have friendships with. And to, and to ultimately share our lives with. So, Lord, we're thankful for this, and we're thankful for these reminders and lessons that we see in your word today. And we pray that you'd speak to our minds and our hearts through it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a little over a year ago, my wife and I became friends with a woman that we find truly inspiring. And, in fact, I recently had the opportunity to attend a seminar on team building and organizational leadership that she put together for business and ministry leaders. And as I was watching her lead this and as I was watching her teach this, I thought, this is fascinating because I know her background. I know her life story. Years ago, she never would have envisioned herself giving this kind of seminar before a group of business leaders, before a group of ministry leaders. That never would have been on her radar. That never would have been something that she thought the trajectory of her life was ultimately leading toward. At an earlier season of her life, just think about the disadvantages she had going for her. She was homeless, she was living from a car, and she was pregnant with her first child. 
That's a very desperate circumstance to find yourself in, but that was her day-to-day reality years ago. She also lived in an area in the Midwest that didn't really offer her very many opportunities in the specific community that she was, that she was part of, and she felt very much locked in to staying there, and she had no idea what to do with her life, and she found herself just kind of scratching her head, but also kind of plodding along a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and eventually she started to get her life on a little bit more of a sound and secure footing, but she was still painfully broke and wasn't sure what to do about that, and being that she was without a job and there weren't too many job opportunities in the community that she was living in, she thought, she needed to come up with an idea. So the idea that she came up with was she thought maybe people would pay her to clean their homes. She thought, okay, I don't need an employer to hire me for this. I could just hire myself, and I'm going to clean people's homes or at least offer to clean people's homes. But she jokes about it because she said, if anyone saw my own house, they never would have hired me to clean their house. But I thought maybe this would be a way that I could earn a little money and and kind of take care of myself and take care of my child. And so she started to do that. She had no experience doing this, but what she did was she went to the dollar store and she bought some empty spray bottles. She started there and then she went online and tried to figure out how can I make some inexpensive cleaning solutions that won't break the bank for me to make them and then I could have kind of an arsenal of supplies that won't cost me a whole bunch and I could use this as I try to drum up some clients. And then she started to go and get those clients and one at a time she succeeded at getting them. And then as her business started to grow, and as her income started to grow, she started to hire people to work with her. And she she eventually took on more clients, and then she began the the process of hiring even more cleaners. And then other companies started to notice what she was doing, and they noticed her business growing and her reputation improving and growing as well. And they started to ask her for her help to organize their businesses better. And then from there, she got this idea. Some people had suggested to her, why don't you start condensing your knowledge into courses that you could put online? And so a little over a year ago, she started condensing these things into courses that she put online on how to run a cleaning business. And people started paying her, get this, people started paying her the equivalent of a college education to take these courses that she had put together online. They were paying her the equivalent of college tuition to be able to take these courses that she had put together online. So now she runs a successful business. She employs multiple people. Uh, She's loved by those who work with her. She's considered an expert in her industry, and people regularly pay her to teach them everything she knows. She's in her mid-30s, And in the past year, and I I was just talking to her about this uh, back in April, she said that in the past year, she has earned more income than all of the years of her life combined. So in one year that happened, and it's, it's more than every year of her life combined. And if you went back to the days when she was pregnant, living in a car, scared and depressed... I don't think she would have believed you if you told her that that day was going to come. I don't think she would have believed you if you told her that there was going to be a day when people would be eager to learn from her and hang on her every word and even pay her for the privilege of being taught by her. But that's exactly what's happened. And I bring that up, and I actually asked her permission. I said, can I share this with my congregation? 
And she said, yeah. I, and, and so I had her direct permission to share that with you today. And that's not even half the story. That's just the brief version. That's just the synopsis. And Andrea and I find it so inspiring just seeing what God's done in her life in recent years. But I share that with you because I just want to set up what we're looking at in Scripture today with that example, because I want you to be asking this question, you know, what about you? You know, do you believe that it's possible that you might actually have something valuable to say to other people? Do you dream about helping people who might only actually listen to you? Or are you convinced that those people don't actually exist? Mentally speaking, does it still feel like you're abandoned and depressed and living alone in a car somewhere in some distant parking lot? I bring that up because I want us to consider this morning what Jesus revealed in this conversation that he has in John chapter 4 with a discouraged woman from Samaria. Because there's some fascinating things in this portion of Scripture that relate to this specific topic. And one of the things that I want us to be asking as we look at this portion of Scripture is this. Do you struggle to believe anyone would actually listen to you? You know, as you share what the Lord's taught you, as you share the gospel with others, as you share your testimony of the goodness of God, do you believe that anyone would actually listen to something that comes forth from your mouth? Look again at what it says in John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. There it says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. Let's pause there for a second. We'll pick up from there in just a few minutes. But the story that we're told in this portion of John's gospel is something that fascinates me. It's actually a portion of scripture that I've heard preached on many, many, many times. And I think the reason so many pastors and preachers and teachers come back to this portion of Scripture is because it's a very encouraging portion of Scripture, and it's a very fascinating portion of Scripture. But in this passage, we see a woman who is going through a very difficult season of life. It's a very challenging things that she, was, that she was dealing with. She was discouraged. When you look at the context of what was going on here, she was seemingly avoided by her peers. When you look at her responsibilities here and her actions, she was basically going through the motions of her daily responsibilities without much hope until Jesus graciously reached into her life. And the scripture tells us here that this woman was surprised that Jesus would speak to her because she was from Samaria and he was Jewish. And both groups tended to hate each other, and both groups tended to avoid each other. And in fact, there were long-standing historical reasons for that that go back to the Assyrian captivity. But Jesus was also a rabbi, and Jesus was also a man, which would have made it much more unlikely that he would have a conversation with this woman at this well in Samaria. Now, one other thing that's not directly stated in the text, but I believe it may be implied, is the fact that, that she was at the well to collect water at the hottest, por- the, the hottest part of the day, right? Tells us the sixth hour. So that's about noon, the way they would count what the sixth hour was. They're starting from 6 a.m., so the sixth hour would be noon. She's there at the hottest part of the day. You know when women would typically come to gather water from the well? They would usually come early in the morning or in the evening. Now, why would they come in the morning or in the evening? Well, those are parts of the day where it's not going to be quite as hot. And when you're going and you're getting water from this well, that's a sweat-inducing activity, right? And then how do you get that water back to your house? you got to carry it, right? 
Well, who feels like carrying a whole bunch of water back to your house at the hottest part of the day? Nobody, right? So they would typically go in the morning when it's a little bit cooler. Or if they needed more, they'd come back in the evening. And when they would do this, they would typically do this in a way that they also kind of made it a social event. You'd go with your friends. And while you're going through the process of gathering your water, then you hang out and you talk with your friends who are gathering their water, and, and you turn it into a social event. You talk to each other in the morning, you talk to each other in the evening, but you certainly don't go by yourself in the middle portion of the day when it's hot. And the reason she's going by herself in the middle portion of the day when it's hot, it seems to be inferred here, is that she really doesn't have anyone to talk to. This is the type of person that, for whatever reason, people don't seem to want to hang out with her. Or maybe it's just something in her mind where she just assumes no one would want to talk to me. Or no one, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's all in her head. Who knows? But for whatever reason, she's there alone. She's there when no one else goes there. She's there at the time of day when it's going to be very uncomfortable to be getting that water from the well and then carrying it back to her home. But then you have Jesus stepping into this story. And Jesus makes it very clear that he's willing to be her friend. He's willing to talk to her. It surprises her. He's willing to speak with her. He's willing to associate with her. We see this very clearly in this passage. And he even shows her here that he knew the precise details of her home life and all her past relationships. He knows all the details. Would that creep you out if somebody was like, hey, can I tell you all the main details of your life? And by the way, we've never met. Seems a little creepy, doesn't it? Right? It's like, surprise, he definitely gets her attention. And she's surprised by this, but she's not creeped out by it. She's amazed by this. And in fact, I think she finds it amazingly interesting. And this shocks her for a variety of reasons. You could see that in her response. But I think up to this point, it doesn't really feel like many people have shown a whole lot of interest in this woman. I think she probably feels like to most people, she's dispensable. You ever have people in your life that treat you like you're dispensable? You don't have to call them out loud because we're being recorded, but... I have some people in my life that I've, and you hate to admit this, but you kind of realize you're dispensable, and you know how you kind of know? They disappear from your life as soon as they get from you whatever they were trying to get from you, and then once they get it, then they're like, all right, adios. And you're like, oh, you seem to be missing, seem to be gone. Guess I was dispensable. Imagine if it felt like all your relationships were like that. I always tell Andrea, I said, I have a short list of people And I shouldn't even call it a short list of people at this point because it's actually a good list of people. But there are some people in my life, and I hope you have this too, there are some people in my life that I know that I can can goof everything up and they will still love me. And I'm so grateful for them because I really lean on them when I'm not like at a high point. And uh, we were talking about some of those people that, that we have in our life, and it's just so nice and wonderful to have some of those people. They know, you just know that they love you no matter what. You goof everything up, and they will still love you. And it feels good to have people like that in your life. And I hope you have a few. I don't think she felt like she had any of those people. I don't think she felt like she had people in her life that loved her no matter what. I think she felt very much just used in this world and like a, like a throwaway person. And I don't think that she would ever think that anybody would have interest in anything she had to say, because certainly nobody was hanging out with her up at the well. That's where everybody talked. And she's up there by herself. She's got nobody to hang out with. And then out of the blue, 
this Jewish man starts talking to her up at this well, and it surprises her because she's not used to people being interested in anything about her or anything about her life or certainly anything she might say. Well, what about you? Do you ever wrestle with the type of things that this woman was facing? Do you ever struggle with these same kind of concerns? Do you ever think to yourself that it's hard to believe that anyone might listen to anything you might have to say? Based on the fact that some of you are smiling, and I just caught a few of you nod your head yes, I'm going to say, for some of us, that's very much the case. Well, this woman would understand exactly how that feels. And it's interesting as this story kind of continues to develop, one of the things that Jesus shows us how, through how he teaches this woman and how he interacts with this woman is that he hears you and he sees you and he's paying attention to you. And he demonstrates this in what he says to this woman and what he does here. If you look at John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says this, For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now let me pause there. I don't know how to say it with the inflection that she said it. I don't know where she took her pauses. I don't know what kind of shock was in her voice when she said that. But she says, Sir, I, per- I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> it's like, here, let me tell you your entire life story. Also, in your mind, we just met. But I know who you are. I know everything that's going on. Jesus sees you. Jesus hears you. He's paying attention to you. It's nice to be paid attention to, isn't it? Recently, Andrea and I took a friend out to eat. I hope this person isn't listening to the live stream. If they are, I'm totally caught because this is not a flattering statement I'm about to say. But we took, we took somebody out. He lives alone, somebody I've been friends with for a while. He seems normally eager for company. And uh, Andrea and I took him out. And uh, you know what he did? He spent most of the time on his phone. Spent most of the time on his phone, and I kind of nudged Andrea partway through the meal. I I thought, um, do you think he'll ever turn that off? Like, do you think he'll ever stop, you know, being, like, not just texting or, you know, seeing what was going on on Facebook or something like that, but actually having verbal conversations on his phone. It's like he's having a verbal, we're out to dinner. He's having a verbal conversation on his phone. It made it abundantly clear to us that he wasn't really interested in our conversation, That was the vibe that we started to get after a while. Now, here's a hint. If someone ever takes you out to eat, maintain eye contact and put your phone on silent, all right? That's just like, that's just free advice. I know you didn't come to church today for that. That's just bonus, all right? File that away somewhere. To me, it seems like it would be obvious, right? Now, when you look at Jesus here in this portion of Scripture, I'm really grateful that Jesus did not convey an aloof or a disinterested attitude to this woman from Samaria, In fact, he demonstrated to her in vivid detail that he could see her, that he heard her, that he was paying attention to her. All of those things were very much communicated in his words, in his posture, in his eye contact, all of those things. And here you have Jesus giving this woman a recap of her relational history up to this point. Now, that can be an awkward conversation, right? That could be a challenging conversation in and of of itself, right? She previously had five different husbands, and I get the impression that one at a time they may have abandoned her, most likely for worldly and selfish reasons. I get that impression that she was used to people just saying, all right, 
I like you for a season. I like you for something I perceive that I can get from you. But then after a while, I'm moving on from you. She felt very disposable. And now the man she was with wasn't even willing to make her, you know, uh, a wife, right? He wasn't even willing to be her husband. And as Jesus made this all clear, and he kind of paints the picture of saying, I see your life and I see the things that you're wrestling with. The fact that he knew her present situation, the fact that he knew her life story up to this point, she becomes convinced that he's a prophet. That's what she says. He's a, you must, you've got to be a prophet. You must be a prophet. He knew things about her that were clearly divinely revealed, and that amazed her. And she thought, wow, I mean, he seems to know a lot of detail. Isn't it interesting to consider that the Lord pays that kind of attention to those that he has created in his image? I think that's why so many of us enjoy this story and why I hear it preached on quite frequently. I know in my case, I struggle to remember the birthdays of most of my blood relatives. <laughs> I don't know. Some of you are really good at stuff like that. I, don't, I, don't, I know they were born. I know that part. Uh, maybe I should just once a year, just like in you know, June 1st, midway through the year, send a card to everyone I missed on the first half and then look like I'm early for those on the second half. Should I do something like that? That'd be really practical. I have Andrea to help my deficiencies in this area. I struggle to remember when my closest family were born. And yet you look at what Jesus does here, and he, he shows us that he sees and he hears and he pays attention to us on a deeper level than I think we often realize. He knows all the details. We forget the details about our closest family, people we love deeply. And yet Jesus remembers every single detail. There's nothing that escapes his attention. He notices it all, even for the person who feels completely abandoned by everybody else that they know on this earth. If this is not something you typically allow your mind to dwell on, I hope you'll allow this example from this portion of Scripture to encourage you, because I think Jesus is demonstrating this not just for this woman, but he's showing this to us as well. He knows it all. He knows all the details. He's paying attention to all the things that everybody else seems like they're skipping, and he cares about it. But then there's something else that Jesus reveals when he has this conversation with this woman. I want us to see this as well. Because Jesus here makes it clear that God is seeking worshipers, and we can join him in this search if we would like to. And there's a reason why we should, but let me read what it says in John 4, starting with verse 21. I'll read down to verse 23, but here it says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Now, having a sense of mission in this world is very helpful, and if you don't have a sense of mission yet, and I'm going to say this also as I look around the room, there's some uh, young people here, there's some of you that are still in, um, in high school, some of you are in junior high. Some of you are, uh, you know, right past the edge of that. I had the opportunity the other night, Friday night, to speak for the commencement of, uh, for a high school graduation. And I spent part of the time speaking to the crowd that was there to cheer on the graduates, but I kept turning to look at the graduates. And one of the things that I was trying to convey is the fact that your life has a sense of mission, but sometimes it takes a moment for you to realize what that mission happens to be. 
And one of the best things we can do, instead of trying to invent something out of thin air, is to ask the Lord what's his mission and then just join him in what he's doing. Because, in fact, that's actually the mission for your life and my life altogether. Just join him in what he's already doing. And I think when you have a sense of mission, I think when you understand why you're here, what you're called to do, you kind of get to a point where you stop needing an alarm clock in the morning, meaning you, you kind of wake up ready to do it, ready to approach it, ready to embrace it. You smile when you think about your responsibilities. You daydream about how you can do what you do better because you see it through the mission lens. You see it through the door that the Lord's opened up for you. You don't just look at your job or your relationships or you know the open doors that he's given to you as tasks that you must do. You see them through the lens of the mission that he's trying to accomplish through you, the mission that he's accomplishing and inviting you to join him on. Now, do you ever look at mission statements that some companies have? Do you ever read some of their mission statements? I remember about a decade ago or maybe 15 years ago or maybe even longer ago than that, I just think that it's a shorter period of time because it makes me feel better about how quickly time is passing, regardless. But there was a season where everyone was talking about mission statements. It was kind of like a buzz phrase. And so a lot of companies decided, hey, we've got to have a mission statement. Well, some mission statements are actually helpful. Do you ever look at some of the mission statements of some of the better-known companies? I actually took the time, knowing I was going to be talking about this this week, I took the time this past week to look at some of the mission statements of uh, some well-known companies. And, and one ministry, I looked at, at a ministry mission statement. I'll share that with you in a second. But do you ever, like, if, if somebody asked you, all right, how about Uber? That was one of the ones I looked at. Look to see, all right, what's Uber's mission statement? Are you familiar with Uber's mission statement? You know what they do, right? Well, they're actually, they seem to be sticking pretty close to their mission statement. Their mission statement is this. They say, Uber is evolving the way the world moves. By seamlessly connecting riders to drivers through our apps, we make cities more accessible, opening up more possibilities for riders and more business for drivers. That seems pretty clear, right? I think they're doing it. Congrats, Uber. You're fulfilling your mission, right? If you choose to sponsor this podcast, we will be really grateful (laughs) for your involvement and your financial support of our church ministry. All right, how about this one? I'm not going to tell you who this is until after I read it. I'll save, I'll save which company. Maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't, but you'll probably get close. This company, their mission statement is this. They say, to attract and attain customers with high-valued products and services and the most satisfying ownership experience in America. I see some wheels turning. I see some smoke coming out of ears. That's Toyota's mission statement. They want to give you the most satisfying ownership experience in America. Anyone here drive a Toyota? Are you the most satisfied people in America? I just want to know. Tell me when we greet after church, all right? You seem pretty satisfied. You guys seem happy. All right, here's another one. World Vision. Are you familiar with World Vision? This is what their mission statement says. To follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in working with the poor and oppressed, to promote human transformation, seek justice, and bear witness to the good news of the kingdom of God. So that's what World Vision says is their mission. It's interesting. It's interesting to see what a mission statement for a company or for a ministry or an organization might state. Because God the Father has a mission. And when you look at what Jesus says here in this portion of Scripture, he makes it abundantly clear. 
the Lord's mission is what? Well, Jesus says the Father is actively seeking people who will worship him in spirit and truth. That's his mission. He's actively seeking people who will, who will worship him in spirit and truth. He's seeking worshipers. And the wonderful part of that mission is that it's something that the Lord invites us to join him in as he fulfills it. In fact, a key component of that mission is his desire to use people like you and me to see that mission through to completion. One of the ordained means that he has ordained for that mission to actually be accomplished is through the people that he's created in his image. He's seeking worshipers, and he's using his current army of worshipers to seek those worshipers with him. Do you wake up every day excited to join God in this effort? Because I'm telling you that regardless of whatever your vocation is, or regardless of your family situation, or what your occupation looks like, or your neighborhood, or, or, or your background, any of those details you're invited. And I think the Lord has strategically placed every single one of us in a very specific spot among very specific people because he's seeking worshipers and he wants to use you and he's got you in the right spot where he wants to use you from. And you can go about your day like your task is to just go up to a well and get water and then go back home and then do it again tomorrow and then go back home, and then do it again tomorrow, or the the day after, and go back home, and keep doing this day in and day out, and day in and day out, and just focus on the tasks. Or you can say, wait a second. God is strategic. God is very intentional. There's somebody I'm going to meet up at that well. There's somebody I'm going to meet walking on that path. There's somebody I'm going to interact with. There's somebody I'm going to offer water to. There's somebody I'm going to share a moment of my life with. I'm here on purpose, even though it feels like I'm doing a menial task. I bet God has something related to his mission for me to accomplish right here in whatever this task may be. And I think his army of worshipers that he already has, he's putting out there so that we represent him and and ultimately join him in his effort to reach an, an additional group of people who will also worship him. We have the privilege to join him in this effort. But one last thing I want to show us, and I hope this will stick in our hearts today, because I think we all need to hear it. There are some people on this earth who won't listen to anyone else but you. You're literally the only person on this earth that they will listen to any of this from. Nobody else. They won't listen to anybody else but you. And look at what it says in verses 28 and 30 of John 4. It says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So here's something amazing that stands out to me from this account. You know, as we look at this in John chapter 4. So after speaking with Jesus and hearing what he could reveal to her about her, and then being told that he alone could satisfy the deepest thirst or the deepest longing of her soul, the scripture shows us here that this woman left her water jar. Did you notice that part? She leaves the water jar. She leaves it. Some people say there's significance to that. I think there is. She left the water jar. What does it symbolize? Oh, she found the living water. 
She, found the, she left the water jar because she found the living water. But also, she's getting people and she's coming back. She'll still need to drink physical water, too, for a season, right? But she'll be back, and she's bringing people with her. She left the water jar. She goes into the town, and she begins to tell others that she believed that she had just met the long-promised Messiah. That's her message. Now, I think it's possible to tell when someone's lying. When people are lying to me, I can usually tell. Sometimes I get duped, but not too often. I could usually tell when somebody's lying. In fact, um, this is kind of funny. My wife has noticed this about me, and I I hope my kids don't mind me saying this, but when they were little, uh, she would lean on me and she would be like, all right, I know one of them's lying. It's your job to figure out which one is lying. (laughs) And she would, the best was, I didn't plan to say this, but I'll say it anyway because I think she's downstairs and won't hear it. Um, The best was there was something, it was like a, a can of fried onions that was missing from the pantry, and she needed it for something. And she's like, I, the kids love those onions. I know one of them ate it. She's like, you got to figure out which one did. I was like, I'm on it. I will figure out which one was lying. And so I sit down at the kitchen table, and I start looking at them. And I was like, hey. And I start asking inquisitive questions, and I'm watching for all the tells and all the signs that, that, that help me figure out if someone's lying. And I'm like, nope, not that one. It wasn't that one. Process of elimination. Let's work on another one. Interrogated in the kitchen over the fried onions. And I worked my way through all four of them, and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to wreck my track record because I'm stumped. It didn't seem like any of them was lying. And I kind of go through again, and I'm like, I said to her, I was like, I don't think they're lying. I don't think they ate it. I don't know where it is, but I don't think they're lying. Do you think it could just be somewhere else? And she's like, no, I'm positive. I know where it was. And then she looked behind something, and there it was. And I was like, (laughs) and the kids were like, aha. I was like, I don't know what to tell you. We used to be able to tell when you were lying. This time, I told her that, but regardless, I think, I, I think you can tell most of the time when someone's lying. Don't you sometimes just kind of get like a check in your spirit when someone's lying? Almost like the Holy Spirit saying to you, something's up. Something is up. Something is fishy about that person. Something is not, something about what they just said is not quite right. I think you can usually tell when somebody's lying. Because I believe the Holy Spirit points our hearts toward the truth. And I think he convinced the, the people of this town that this woman that they were used to ignoring was actually sincere in what she said to them. And we're told that after she said what she said, the people of the town stopped what they were doing, and they went up to the well to meet Jesus. They actually listened In that moment, I think this woman became the world's most unlikely evangelist. And it's a beautiful thing to see. But she was the very person that the Lord used to communicate the hope that that whole town needed to hear. And they actually listened. And let me even say this, because we're about to finish up, but I want your heart to hear something, and I think my heart needs to hear this from time to time as well. So let's all hear this together. I think most people think that they need all kinds of credentials to actually be listened to. So what kind of credentials did this woman have? The only, the only credential she had was a hard life and a broken spirit. From what I can see, that's the only credentials that she brought to the table. 
But something changed inside of her when she met Jesus. And I think that the people who knew her, the people who knew her best, they could clearly see it. Because they interacted with her on a day-to-day basis, and they could see that something is different. She met Jesus, and now something is different inside of her. She went from feeling ignored and unloved to possessing a message and a voice that could not be ignored. And she shares this with the town, and the people from her town went up to meet Jesus. Her faith in Jesus became her credential. Her faith in Christ became her credential. That was her credential. So let me say this. There are people right now where you are in your life who will never listen to a pastor or a professor. They won't listen to an author. They won't listen to an expert. They don't even listen to their doctor when they go to their doctor and their doctor tells them to do stuff and they're like, thanks doctor for your knowledge and your expertise. I will still eat McDonald's four to five times per week. It's just going to happen. By the way, McDonald's will not be sponsoring this podcast after I said that. (laughs) But there are people in your life that know when you're telling the truth because they've observed you over the long haul. They've seen your life. That's your credential. They've seen your life. They know when you're telling them the truth. They don't know people at a distance whether or not they're telling the truth, but they've seen you up close over a long period of time, they know that you're telling them the truth. And you're the only person that some people will actually listen to. And the only credentials that you actually need are a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and a burning desire to share the hope that you possess with somebody else who needs it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this and to realize that you want to speak through people like us. And there are some people in our lives that the only person they're going to listen to is us. They're not going to listen to anybody else. They don't trust other people. They're not confident in the things that would come from the lips of somebody else or somebody that they've observed at a distance, someone that they didn't have the opportunity to see their highs and their lows, someone they can't read quite as well. They're not likely to trust those voices, but they trust us. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be sitting around waiting for some sort of worldly credential to convince our minds that we have the authority to speak on your behalf in this world. You are our credential. And Lord, we pray that by your grace that you would speak through us and that we would be confident in you that you can speak through us, that you give clarity to our minds, that you transform our our thinking, that you give us new hearts, and you invite us to join you in your mission as you seek worshipers in this world. So Lord, we pray that we would accurately and confidently and boldly and willingly speak on your behalf and that we would trust the fact that you're willing to speak through people like us. Lord, I love this portion of Scripture that we just had the opportunity to look at. I love looking at it. I love thinking about it. Because it just seems like the most unlikely person got selected for the task. The most unlikely evangelist got selected for the task of going to her town and telling everybody, I know who the Messiah is, and he's here. And Lord, we're grateful that you've given us that same message. Father, you've, 
shown us that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah, the one who satisfies the deepest longing of our souls. And you've given us the opportunity to represent your Son, and you've given us the opportunity to speak of your Son, and you've given us the opportunity to let others know of your Son. So, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't talk ourselves out of actually talking about Him. We pray that we wouldn't just sit around and wait for someone with a whole bunch of initials after their name or a whole bunch of uh, credentials that seem like they would validate the person. We pray that we wouldn't wait for that person. We pray that we would step up where we are and say, the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit is my credential as I trust in your Son. So, Lord, I thank you for the fact that you can take people like us and you could speak through us, through our lives and through our words, and that as you seek worshipers in this world, that we can join you in that mission and be part of what you're seeking to accomplish. Thank you so much, Lord, for this reminder from your word and for the privilege that it is to be transformed by you as you accomplish your work in our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.